On the road with Jesus, on the road to Jerusalem. Luke 19, if you've got your Bibles, and the second half of that chapter from verse 28 to the end of the chapter, that's the passage that we're looking at this morning. And there's a sense in which I want to just highlight a few things from it. As you're aware, I've been on sabbatical, I've been away for a couple of months, and uh, yes, before you ask, it's been a good, it's been a good couple, of, couple of months, and uh, I felt very much what God was saying to me right at the beginning of that was, David, just to be. You don't have to fill up your diary, you don't have to do lots of stuff, just be. Just be, just be yourself, just enjoy life, and that's what I've done. And uh, just uh, done quite a lot of things around the home, uh, quite a lot of things got outside and uh, been out walking and watching birds and, and just enjoying uh, the countryside. I've been doing some reading, yes, uh, reading very much around, I suppose, the books of Daniel and, and, uh, and Revelation. Two interesting contrasts there, but I uh, just found them fascinating. You might learn something from it later on, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, that's it. But one of the things that God has been speaking very much to me is his faithfulness, his goodness, and we're called to trust him. Whatever our situations and whatever our circumstances, and sometimes that's not easy, is it? Because the world can feel a very hostile place. The world can seem to be a very dark place. And life is never straightforward. We're always only one step away from something happening. You know, a member of my own family, you know, this, uh, over these two months has been uh, diagnosed with a, an extreme form of Alzheimer's. You know, and suddenly their world changes and the world of their family changes. And we're all, the, we're all uh, in, in that. And uh, I'm just recognising there God's, God's faithfulness. One of the things also that um, has been coming through in some of the stuff that I've been doing is in terms of discipleship. How we approach discipleship. What do we mean by discipleship? What does discipleship look like? What does it look like to be a disciple of, of Jesus? And that's partly what I want to look at in this passage this morning. And you might think, well, David, this isn't the most obvious passage to, um, to look at in terms of that theme. But I want to see the responses of the people to Jesus. How did the people respond to Jesus? How did they respond to this man who they had been following for three years? And yes, you've been looking through the book of Luke and you've experienced something of of the book of Luke and what's been going on in this book and you've met some of the characters and some of the people and you've seen some of the miracles and you've heard about some of the miracles there that have taken place but how did the people respond and so therefore how should we respond so there may be a number of challenges for us here both individually and as a church and I need to keep my eye on the clock July 1996, now some of you won't remember it, some of you will, most of us probably will here this morning. July 1996 is, uh, I think it was a Friday, but it lives long in the memory for me. Uh, we were up in South London, uh, in uh, Mitcham Lane, Mitcham, and I travelled up to London. Got on the tube at uh, Tooting Beck, 
And even there on the tube, there was that buzz, that sense of excitement, and you began to see some flags, and you began to see some certain colours there people were wearing, and there was that sort of celebratory air. Got on the underground and went up into the, into the city and eventually found myself at Trafalgar Square because that's where I was heading. And immediately you got off the train, there was that buzz and people were friendly, people were jostling, there was none of that hostility, people were smiling. And actually that's a miracle on the, on, on the London Underground for people to smile. But again, you could sense that there was that almost sort of carnival atmosphere, that joyful atmosphere. And you, you moved up the steps out, out of the underground up towards Trafalgar Square and you felt as if you were being hemmed in onto a crush and people were moving all in one direction because you all wanted to get somewhere and you all wanted to get the best positions because somebody was coming by, somebody was there and you wanted to see Nelson Mandela. You wanted to be part of that crowd that saw Nelson Mandela come around London and to be part of that. And suddenly, when he, when he appeared, there was that great cheer that went up. And people were exuberant. And people were joyful because of this man who epitomised so much. This man whose life people were so aware of. And the significance of his life they were so aware of. And there was that real carnival atmosphere. And yes, people were picking up the colours that they got with the South African flag, the flag of the ANC, and so forth. And yes, they threw them. And people either took off their, their, their it was quite a warm day, their jumpers, and they were fl flinging them around because they wanted to be noticed. They wanted to be part of this. And they wanted to say, I was there. And having visited South Africa two years previously, I just simply wanted to be there. I wonder what it was like on the road to Jerusalem, there on that first Palm Sunday, packed with pilgrims, not a few, thousands, streaming towards Jerusalem, because this was the festival of the year. This was where you needed to be seen. This was where you needed to be. This was the heart of the nation. This was the heart of who they were as a people, the people of God. And so you needed to be there in Jerusalem. There are some who are saying that that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, entering Jerusalem from the east, so entering the west, there was a whole legion of Roman soldiers entering into the city to keep peace over that weekend, to reinforce the garrison. What a contrast. A king riding on a donkey and an army prepared for battle. A king coming in peace. An army coming in force. But that's by the by. And so you have got this scene. And people were, yeah, this was holiday. This was a holiday. This was the principal holiday. So yes, they would be relaxed, they'd be exuberant, they would be, you know, there talking to one another and sharing stories. But what does Luke say? As he approached Bethpage in verse 29, and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, 
and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as they had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. We'll pause there just for a moment. What does discipleship mean for you and for me? The first thing that we learn from this, it means instant response. To follow the call and to go. To go and to give. What a strange request. To turn around. Oh, by the way, Matthew, Thomas, could you just pop into the next town? You'll find on the side of the road there's a nice Volvo. The keys are in the lock. Bring it to me because I want to travel into Peterborough in that Volvo. And by the way, it's an open-top convertible, so people will see me. And they go. You're the owner of that Volvo. And you see two men loitering around it, getting into the driving seat, starting it up. Oi! What are you doing with that? What are you doing with my car? The master needs it. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. We don't know whether this was all pre-planned. We don't know whether this was one of Jesus' inner circles. Yes, Jesus had pre-primed them and said, look, I want to borrow your, your donkey. But just the whole concept of it. How ready are we to answer the call of God when he prompts us? Not only to go, but also to give. To give of what we have. What if Jesus says to you today, I want you to give me that. I want you to give up that for me. I want you to let me use that. What will be your response? There's an instant response here. Last Sunday, was first Sunday back and Ian was very kind. I was just in the congregation and that. And it was lovely. People just come in and say, David, how are you? Had a good time. Nice to see you. Whatever it is. Came Sunday evening. Yes, I, I came twice on Sunday. Quite a miracle, isn't it? Quite, quite, quite something, isn't it? And we had communion. And uh, in communion, at the end of the service, again, it was good. People had asked, how was I? And, and what have you. <coughs> Somebody just tentatively come up and said, David... Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you as you come back? I couldn't tell you what they prayed. I can't tell you what they prayed. But it meant the world to me. And I know that they were nervous about it because we talked about it afterwards. They said, I knew that I needed to do it. But I very nearly didn't. And I said, I'm glad you did it, because it blessed me. It blessed me. How many times 
have we, have we ignored or missed when Jesus has said, go and speak to that person. Go and pray with that person. Go and do that, or go and do that. Instant response from those disciples. If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey me. The first test of our love for Jesus is, do we obey him? That's John 14. The second area is that we give worship that matters. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There's a sense, there's a dyna dynamic to that, isn't there? I don't know whether we can capture it. But okay, yes, we can get caught up in this group of people. They have been around Jesus for three years. They've heard about Jesus. There'd have been people in that crowd who he'd fed in that crowd of 5,000. Probably blind Bartimaeus was there. Probably the woman who, whose son he'd restored to life. And they were talking about what Jesus had done and there was a lot of buzz there. They were sharing their testimony. Do you remember that time when he were there on the hill where he was talking about blessed are the poor in spirit? Do you remember that time when he took those five loaves and two fishes and he broke that bread and he fed us all? Do you remember that time when we saw him raise Jairus' daughter? And there was that buzz, the recognition and that talk. And then they see Jesus coming, riding on the donkey. And immediately, because of the people that they were, they were going to Jerusalem Immediately, Psalm 18, 118 would come into their mind. Zechariah 9, that your king comes approaching you on a donkey. It would immediately resonated with them, and suddenly they're caught up, and there's this worship, there's this praise that is exuberant, that is bold, that is rash, that is daring, that they're immersed in, that, they, that it matters. What do we bring to God in our worship today? Do we bring our love? Do we bring our devotion? Do we bring our exuberance? Are we aware of what God has done for each and every one of us? I don't know about you, but I find it is a miracle that this morning I got up. It's God given me another day of life. God's given me another day to enjoy life. And isn't that something to be thankful for? Isn't that something to be joyful for? God's goodness, God's sovereignty, God's grace. And yes, at the beginning of the service, we recognise Tony there, a walking miracle. But also I see that in so many of your faces, so many of your histories. Yes, I've been here long enough, 12 years, 12 years today, since I first stood here as a minister of, your church, of the church here, 12 years today. That's it. So yes, I've shared your journey and I know your stories. And even in the darkest of days, we still have something to praise God for. These people were, yeah, taking off their jackets. Let's do it again. 
in a rash demonstration of their love and their devotion to Jesus. For they know nothing of the power of the cross. They know nothing of the power of forgiveness and the cross. That was still to come. How much more the worship that we should bring. Worship that matters. Worship is not about my circumstances, my situation. It's about who he is. He is the king. He is the sovereign Lord. He is our saviour. We so often make worship about who I am, what I like, what I want. My situation and my circumstances should be about who he is. The king of glory. The prince of peace. Your saviour, my saviour and Lord. Worship that matters. Very quickly, just to move through... I find it fascinating here that we see the broken heart of God. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. What a damning indictment. You did not recognise the time of God's coming to you there. And we see something of the broken heart of God. Jesus weeps over the city. The city who did not recognise him. The city who would not honour him. The city who would put him on a cross and crucify him as a common criminal. They did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. What an indictment. And God weeps over that city because he knows that as they reject his son, as they reject the peace that his son brings, so there is only one thing that will happen and that is judgment. And that comes, that comes 70 years later there to that city. These words come to fulfilment in that city. I believe that God weeps. He weeps over his world. He weeps over Syria. He weeps over the atrocities in Stockholm, Westminster, Petersburg, wherever they might be. He weeps over every hardship and struggle, every act of abuse, every sadness. God weeps because he comes to us in his son. If only you had known the peace that he brings. And yet I ask myself, am I good at recognising the time of God's coming to me? 
Do I recognize God's coming to me in my darkness, in my sin, in my struggles? Do I recognize him? Or do I allow him to pass me by and therefore miss out on the peace, the forgiveness, the security that he brings? Jesus then moves on. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Very simple, very graphic. I think one other thing that God wants in discipleship is a cleansed temple. Is your temple cleansed? We can, we can step back and think from this, can't we, very easily, and we can simply say, oh, well, yes, of course, there was a temple in Jerusalem, and yes, they were a bit of a, there were a lot of crooks there. You know, they, they, they were exploiting the worshippers. They were, <coughs> they were selling the offerings more than they should have done. The exchange rates were exorbitant. They were really taking the worshippers for a ride. When was the last time that you took God for a ride? By not bringing the worship that you should? By not bringing the devotion that you should? But not making the sacrifices that you should? God calls us not to shortchange him. Do I shortchange God? Do I, in my devotion, in my worship, Paul writes in uh, 2, Cor 2 Corinthians 6 that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What would Jesus find in your temple today if he was entering? What tables would he overturn and throw out? What cleansing would he need to do? One of the things I've done over the last two months is given my study a mass spring clean. It's not been done for 12 years. You ought to have seen the dust in some places. I've cleared some books out. I've made it more, you know, structured and what have you. Feels good. Feels good. We can become so relaxed, can't we, and think, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Where this Easter does God need to cleanse your temple? Is it in your attitudes to worship? Is it in your attitudes to discipleship? Is it in your service? Where is it? Then finally, God wants our focused attention. And uh, you can read scriptures many times, and I guess I've met, read this passage many, many times, but I've I've never read it and found these words that uh, have been added to my Bible, I think. Every day he was teaching in the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. How attentive to Jesus are you? It's interesting, last week that Pete, as he was preaching, he was speaking about the transfiguration and, and, and there's those words that, uh, you know, God speaks, this is my son, listen to him. Listen to him. How attentive. There's that sense of listening closely with a sense of awe 
of anticipation, of eagerness, expectancy, keenness, wholeheartedness. I've mentioned already that I've been going through this, the Bible in one year. I think a number of people have sort of been talking about doing it and that, so I thought, well, I, I need to do it. So I've been doing it, but I want to ask a question because it's a question that I've had to face. There's quite a lot in the Bible in one year. There's quite a lot in any daily Bible readings. What's more important? To get through the passages that are allocated for today or to listen to God? What's more important to tick off that I've done day 92 or whatever it is, 93? Or to say that I've listened to God? And if listening to God means that I only go to the first verse of that passage and stay there, Surely that is better than actually reading the, the psalm, the gospel, and the two or three chapters in Deuteronomy. Are you hearing me? What's more important? To hang on his words, to hear his word, or just to tick it off and to say, I've done it. Because I know that there have been plenty of days when I've done it, and half an hour later, I'll sit there and think, now what was it I read? Or I've actually, tur I've actually turned it on the, um, because I, I quite like, enjoy listening to it. And fine, yeah, and this is confession time. You're listening to it, and then you suddenly realise, oh, I nodded off there, didn't I? But actually, that hanging on God's word. You see, God is looking for that response. What is our response? The people here knew who Jesus was. They come to him. They gave that instant response. They brought worship that mattered. Yes, they saw a God who weeps. They saw him purifying the temple. And they hung on his every word. Can we be people like that? we do that. Let's pray. Time has gone. Father, we acknowledge